You're listening to the Reinvention Project with Jim Rome podcast. Welcome to episode 76 of the Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. It is the side hustle to the original side hustle. And as I always say, I know there is virtually unlimited amounts of content out there. You have so many choices. So I appreciate you finding this pod and locking it in as always. Thank you very much for that. Now, just to briefly reset the premise of this pod, and I've been thinking about this more than ever of late because there have been some changes in my life and my business, and it has forced me to think deeply and to be more introspective than I've been in the past. I have not done a good enough job of looking within. Now, I could say the day-to-day grind makes it tough to do that sometimes, but that's no excuse. Every single achiever I know works hard every damn day, and they make time to hit their so-called mental gym, and they do the hard work on themselves internally. So I've been spending more and more time with myself of late, and if I'm being really honest, I am struggling with something. I'm struggling with some regrets. No, regret in and of itself does absolutely nothing for you. In fact, it's worse than that. It's debilitating. It's poisonous. It's an energy vampire that sucks the juice right out of you and your life. My regrets center around not being more intentional, more appreciative, and not enjoying some of the amazing things that I've spent my entire life working for. I should have been more in the moment in all those amazing moments. I thought that I was, but now I know that I wasn't. But that stops right now. Again, the premise of this podcast is that I want to reinvent my mind, my body, my spirit, and my brand. And I want to ensure that the next 25 years of my life personally and professionally are my very best. And I'm going to make absolutely certain that my best years are in front of me and not behind me, even as somebody in their late 50s. I believe this is possible. I believe this is necessary. And one of the first places... And one of the first places I'm going to start is I'm going to make sure now that I am fully present every minute of every day because everything matters. Now, is that impossible? Maybe, but that's what I'm aiming for. I'm going to be grateful and appreciative of all the amazing things in my life and for all the challenging things and things that suck because even those things will make me tougher, smarter, and more resilient. No more regrets. They're toxic. And if you're fully focused and you're intentional and you're doing the hard work, there will be nothing to regret. I'll tell you what else kills aside from regret. Procrastination. Not getting around to the thing that you know you have to do. The big thing. The thing that could catapult you to another level. Or that passion project that you've been carrying around but just never pull the trigger on because the time isn't right. Or you want to research it some more. Or deep down maybe you're just afraid. Personally, I've got one of those projects. And I literally have been thinking about that project and talking about that project for years. But like a lot of you, I never actually got around to it, you know, because the time was never quite right, or I was just too busy, or, 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 uh, wrong answer. You know what it was? It was that I didn't have the focus, the determination, the discipline to sit down and knock it out. I mean, sure, I thought about it. I sort of worked about, I sort of worked it a little around the margins, 
but I finally sat down recently and began work on it in earnest. And by that, I mean I committed to it finally. I wrote a check, I committed to a partner, and I began work on something that I've been carrying around in my head and in my heart for years. And you know what? It felt great. It felt awesome. I felt a sense of purpose. I felt a sense of working towards something and creating something. You need that, especially if you have it, but you're not doing anything about it. The process has now begun. It feels awesome, and I'm kicking myself in the ass for not doing it sooner. So my point is, do the same. Whatever the project is, the dream or the passion that you're not developing or you're not chasing or you're not creating, do it now. Start it right now. There's never going to be a perfect time to start it except for now, not tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. Plant your feet, sit your ass down, and do the work. Execute. You just have to start. Trust me, doing so feels amazing, and not doing so is a silent killer in and of itself. Now, speaking of reinvention, my guest in this episode personifies reinvention. I'm talking about somebody who realized in his early 30s that he was not walking in his purpose. He was not aligned with who and what he wanted to be and do. So he did the thing that so many are so terrified to do. He put himself out there. He put it all on the line. He made that hard pivot. He bet on himself, and he did everything he could to beat back that imposter syndrome that we have all dealt with at times in our lives. I'm talking about Ken Coleman. Ken Coleman is a best-selling author, a renowned career coach, and a tremendous leader, motivator, and innovator, and I'm just going to let him tell his story. Be sure to lock this one in as this conversation is filled with strategies that you can put into practice immediately to create change and impact in your life. It's episode 76 of the Reinvention Project with guest Ken Coleman, and it's coming at you right now. So, Ken, absolutely awesome to meet you and have you on this pod. Thank you very much. First things first, how you doing? How you living? How's life? Life is good, man. Uh, you know, all three kids are, are keeping it in the road, which is good. And uh, the wife has kicked me out. So, I mean, that's that's a pretty good start. And, you know, I get to do really fun work that, you know, pours into people's lives and coaching people every day to be the best version of themselves. So no complaints here. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. In fact, we'll get into all that. But let me ask you this. Like you normally I would wait until later on in the conversation, but I want to jump right into this. You are the very definition of reinvention. Take me back to when you were in your early 30s. What were you doing at that time, Ken? And what did you want to pivot into? Yeah, well, I was on a path to run for political office. I was working for the legendary leadership guru, John Maxwell, was a VP in his company, had picked a place. Uh, a state house district, a state senate district, where I may be able to to jump into in a few years. But about that time, I had lost the fire in my belly for politics. It's something that I had been on that path to since the age of 16. And so that was a very unsettling realization, certainly because I, while I knew that politics was not the path for a variety of reasons at that point, I didn't know what the alternate path was. And for a young guy who had been very driven, very ambitious, for so long on one path, it really messed me up. And I did what a lot of people do. We delay the uncomfortable and we stay miserable because the miserable is what we know. And I was certainly miserable not moving forward towards something that was purposeful. And so for about two, three years, made a lot of excuses and then got to the point where one day, just kind of in a moment of journaling on my back porch, 
I had the thought in my head. No one's sitting around thinking about how they can help Ken Coleman make it. You're going to have to figure it out. And at that time, I had been wondering about broadcasting, and yet I had not gone to school. I had not done much more than a few MC gigs here and there. And so the imposter syndrome, the bone-crushing doubt and fear of telling everybody, number one, that I'm going to go this other path, and yet not having the experience, uh, it was terrifying. And it was that day that I decided I'm going to have to make my own way. And I began the process of of doing small things here or there. Took a broadcasting class with a bunch of 20-year-olds that thought I was the instructor about halfway <laughs> through. And doing high school football play-by-play on the internet. Nobody's listening but the kid next to me and my wife at home. All these little things like that. And just stayed with it, stayed with it, stayed with it. Uh, paid my way on to talk radio in the Atlanta area, and through a series of events, uh, got the attention of Dave Ramsey, a broadcasting legend, and and uh, he picked me, and and uh, I said yes, I'm coming. So that's the super short version, but that's where I was. I was at a place of true pivot, and uh, decided to stay with it, face the fear, face the doubt, and now blessed to do it, uh, do my dream job. All right, so that's actually amazing. There's so much to unpack in that. So that's that might be the short version, but there's so much to unpack yes. in that. So, for instance, like it, everybody, I don't care who you are, all of us, me, you, everybody, we all experience imposter syndrome to varying degrees. How do you work through that? How do you begin to work through that? Yeah, it's a great question. So the first thing we have to do is we have to realize that we're just dealing with good old-fashioned doubt. And the only people that experience doubt in life are people that want to move forward or people that are moving forward. So the first thing I want to say to people is if you're experiencing doubt, that's a good thing because you're longing for more or you're actually moving towards more. Secondly, the very phrase imposter syndrome, I get it. Uh, we all have used it. But number one, you're not an imposter. Uh, and number two, this isn't a disease. This is just very natural. So what we have to do is when we're experiencing doubt, and I define doubt or imposter syndrome, as not believing that something good can happen. So we're longing for something good. We see a better future, but we just don't believe, Jim, that it can happen. And so that's doubt. So what we have to do is, is we have to look for evidence that doubt is telling us the truth because doubt, and we could say it's cousin fear, they are either telling us the truth and protecting us, or they're lying to us and holding us back. So we retreat to clarity. So it's getting cold again, and I've got a tremendous way to stay warm. Two words, heat holders. Heat holders. Heat holders make the warmest thermal socks around. They keep your feet warmer than just ordinary socks in the coldest conditions. Perfect for those winter sports like skiing or weekend in the coldest parts of Wisconsin, for instance. How do they do it? Heat Holders uses a three-stage process with a cashmere-like advanced insulating yarn that is soft to the touch and brushed on the inside. That traps warm air closer to your skin. It keeps your feet warmer, comfortable, and dry. They are absolutely the softest, most comfortable socks I have ever worn. Guaranteed. They also have hats, gloves, throws, scarves, and more. Give somebody heat holders for the holidays that you know need these badly. They will appreciate the hookup and your discovery. Go to heatholders.com, enter my code ROME, R-O-M-E, and save 15% off your order. Receive free shipping with a purchase of $25 or more. If you don't want to freeze this winter, go to heatholders.com and use the code ROME. Once again, that's heatholders.com. Heat holders, making life warmer. 
So what I did in a situation where I had a lot of doubt is, is I retreated back to uh, some true self-evaluation. Coleman, do you believe you have the talent? Do you have the raw talent that through experience and education, uh, you can actually do this? And I believe that I did have it. But I went a step further. I talked to people who were truth tellers in my life that I knew would tell me the truth, whether it was really good or really bad. And I got feedback to help validate this truth. And so once I retreated that and realized, okay, Coleman, you've got what it takes. Now it's just a function of, are you willing to do what it takes? And so that's how we overcome doubt. This thing that we, this, this desired future, this good result that we don't believe in, is there any evidence that doubt is telling us the truth? And then when I went into it, Jim, I figured it out. I went, you know what? I, I doubt that I had the ability. Well, uh, I had the ability. So now it wasn't about ability. It was about resilience and staying with it and adapting along the way. And so that's how we overcome doubt is, is just retreat back to what we know to be true. And if that truth uh, is then telling the doubt or the fear that it's wrong, then now we can kind of say, all right, this is a mindset game now. And, and I got to push doubt to the side. All right, Ken. So it, for instance, would you agree that most people never live the life they want to live? And if in fact that's true, is it because of what you're talking about, they cannot overcome the doubt and the fear? Yeah, I do think that we don't have any data on this, uh, but we can pull some data. And so in the world of work, we know for years, Gallup has come out with a state of the workplace. And this is worldwide. 68% of workers worldwide are disengaged. So based on that data, I would say, yes, I think it's a very easy supposition to make that most people never live the life they want. We can also look at a best-selling book out of Australia by a hospice nurse who found that one of the top five regrets of the dying was they did not live a life true to themselves. So I do think a lot of people never really live the life they want. and They go to the grave with regret. And the question is, why? I think there are a couple of reasons why. Sadly, I think one of the primary reasons, Jim, is that people don't really ever get clarity on what that life is. They don't ever get a true vision for this is who I am. This is why I am that way. And this is what I want to do. And this is where I can do it. And this is how I can get there. That's a progression that all comes from getting a very clear vision for this is what I want for my life. So I think that's a big one. I would also tell you that doubt uh, this is the belief that something good cannot or will not happen. Fear, which is the worry that something bad will happen if I step out. And I also think a third voice is pride, which is I care more about what other people believe or will say than what I believe about me. You know, sadly, most people will go through life and they're more comfortable doing what it takes to fit in than what it takes to stand out. And that's where we see the difference between people who live an average life and great men and women who fail just as much as the rest of us. The difference is they don't care what anybody else thinks. They realize that at the end of the day, anybody that has opinion, it's just their opinion. And most of them care too much about their own dreams. They don't give a crap what we're doing. So why don't we just accept the fact that we're different? We have a different heartbeat, a different vision. And let's go live that life. We got one shot at this deal. So I think that those are the combined reasons why people don't live that life that they desire to live. So, Ken, having said that, I'm really curious. How would you personally define success? Mm -hmm. I love this question. I think success is making the unique contribution that we were designed to make 
to deliver the results that we care deeply about. In other words, it's not about money. It is not about fame. And it is not about power. It is not about any of those things. But that's what the world tells you. How much money you have, how many followers you have, how much power you have. I think one of the most significant and successful women on the planet, humans on the planet, is Mother Teresa, a woman who decided to live a life of poverty in the slums of Calcutta and ends up becoming obviously very powerful in her influence. And, and I think that that's what we've got to understand is that we are uniquely made. We have things we do well, that's talent. We have tasks or roles that we love to fill, that's passion. And then there are results of that work, that passion, that fire us up, that bring us joy. And I think when we can understand that, we see our significant contribution. My contribution is different than yours, and so on and so forth. And, and so understanding that unique role that we were created to fill and filling it to our greatest potential. It's uniqueness that leads us to greatness. Greatness is defined by uniqueness, that unique role, that unique contribution that's significant to us. That's success. You know, I, I really appreciate that response. It seems to me also there's got to be a certain level of accountability and responsibility, right? To your point earlier, like you said, no one's coming to save me. No one's coming to save me, and no one's coming to figure this out for me. I need to own this and figure it out for myself. You know, a lot of times, Ken, you hear people say, man, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. Are they stuck, truly, or are they maybe just inactive? Oh, I love this. I don't think they're stuck. I think they've chosen to stay put. And, and that is because of fear, doubt, and pride. Those, those enemies of progress, I call them, that we've already talked about. You feel stuck. I want, to, I want to acknowledge that there's some people who go, okay, Ken, that's coming from a high and mighty place. No, it isn't. If I could coach you for a moment, you're not stuck. You've chosen to stay put because of some extenuating circumstances, some, some fear, some doubt, some pride. But you have the option to move. You can go backwards, you can pivot sideways, or you can press forward. So I think it's important to understand. And that's why I love that question. Rarely are we really, really stuck. Now, you're stuck if you drive your car into a, a quagmire of mud or you get stuck in a mud pit. And you need assistance to get out. But what we're talking about is choosing to stay put. Well, we're not stuck. We're really not. We can move and we need to move. You got to move. You got to take that first step. You got to take a step one way or another, but you got to move. I agree. So let me ask you this. Like, I'm not looking for a hack. I'm not looking for a shortcut. I really don't believe in these things. So Mm -hmm. having said that, the question, Ken, might sound kind of counterintuitive to that, but could you give me a strategy or two that might help somebody looking to change their life as quickly as possible? And again, I know there are no shortcuts to, quote, changing your life, but if somebody wanted to make a dramatic Im- improvement in their life quickly, what could they do? What's one strategy? Change the people you're hanging around. Mm-hmm. I think that's the first and foremost, whatever it is. And so I appreciate the question. This isn't a hack. I mean, this is, do you want to change your life physically? Do you want to change your life relationships-wise, relationally? Do you want to change your life professionally, spiritually? Where is the li- where's the life change? In what area of your life do you want to change? What do you want to change it to? And so with the way the question is set up, we're presuming you know what change you want to make. I think the quickest way to make change is to change the people you hang around. I'll give you a specific example. So if you want to change your life physically, uh, the first thing you need to do is start hanging around people that are working out all the time, that are exercising all the time, people who who eat clean. Uh, Because 
because that's the greatest opportunity for true life change is to change the environment that you're in. We know from the longest relationship study ever done uh, by Harvard, they've studied people from birth to the end of life. They found that 95% of our success or failure is directly related to the people we spend the most time with. And so I would change your environment by changing the people you're around. You know, I trained for a half marathon. Dave Ramsey challenged me to this. I, he guilted me into it in front of a thousand people at a staff meeting several years ago. I didn't want to run. And, but he challenged me. And so I said, I got 12 weeks to go from couch to the half marathon. I'm a competitor, but I'm not a big runner. And I knew I needed some real help. So I called a buddy of mine who had done multiple triathlons, multiple marathons. I said, hey, Bill, I need you to train me. And I need a stretch goal or else I will just quit. At some point, I'll go, hey, Dave, screw this. I'm not doing it. And, and he appreciated that. So we put a stretch goal and this guy trained me. I ran with him. And the reason that I chose to run, to run with him is because he was going to set a naturally faster pace than I would ever set for myself. And in trying to keep up with him, I was going to quicken my pace, but also get in shape faster. That's what I'm talking about. Hang around people that are winning in the area that you want to win in. In other words, I want to change from here to here, well, then the quickest way to do it is to surround yourself by people who naturally will pull you forward. 100%. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And you are the sum of the five people you hang around with most. You know, Ken, because you do so much work in leadership and in the workplace, I'm curious about this. Where do you come out, and, you, and you're a competitive athlete, where do you come out on, and follow me on this, on participation trophies for kids in sports growing up? For instance, let me stretch this out now. If you give kids participation trophies then in turn, what happens when they go through that system or they go through their young life and they're rewarded for just showing up? What happens when they become young adults and then they hit the workforce? Well, we'll go right to that. I think it's the most insidious thing that we've seen in our culture in quite some time, this idea of rewarding participation. Here's what happens. When we give kids trophies for losing 10 soccer games in a row, then they get confused as to what rewards are for. And they come out into the real world and they have unrealistic expectations. I'm going to get promoted just for showing up. I'm going to get a raise just for showing up. And then those unrealistic expectations turn into unmet expectations. And then we see millions of people go on TikTok and Instagram and they gloat about being quiet quitters as if it's a badge of honor. That's what happens. And then you have millions of men. We have 7 million men, Jim, that are working age 25 to 55 that are eligible to work. They can work and they're at home. And the reason they're at home, the data says, is because they have not achieved the life that they wanted to. So they've literally taken their ball and they've walked home pouting and people are supporting them. This is what happens. I hate to sound a uh, grumpy old man, but it's the truth. Unrealistic expectations lead to unmet expectations, and unmet expectations lead to devastation in the lives of people. They get this warped sense of worth, and then when that worth isn't met because it could never be met, then they begin to believe the narrative that they aren't enough, and then they go home. And, and this is a dangerous place that we're at in our economy right now. You have 11 plus million jobs available, a little bit over 8 million people unemployed, not including the 7 million men. They're just checked out. They're being supported. 
They are in the basements being addicted to dopamine. This is scary stuff. This is how societies crumble. And I don't mean to paint such a negative picture, but that's where this starts. As opposed to teaching kids that you win a game or you lose a game. And see, when we teach kids that we aren't keeping score, then they get in the real world, Jim. And you and I both know everybody's keeping score. Everybody. And so it is. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a bewildering thing. And, and honestly, uh, it, it's, it's unfair to these kids. In my generation of parents, uh, we've done it. Uh, I'm, I'm an Xer. The boomers did it before us. And uh, it, it's, it's a crime. You know, I remember, Jim, I went to college and I coached a little YMCA soccer team because I needed to make money. And I, I was born in 74, so I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. And and uh, and I remember going to the coaches meeting, Jim, and the director said, now, listen, you're coaching five and six-year-olds because that's what I was coaching. And so we're not going to keep scoring this league. And I remember going, well, that's not happening. And I told my kids every week at halftime, this is what the score is. You're losing. And I told them at the end of the game, you lost. Now, I told them, I'm really proud of you. Your effort was great this week. Next week, we come back, we try to win. That's not devastating little kids. That's actually inspiring little kids. Because you know what the little kids are doing? They're keeping score too, mom and dad. They have a general idea how many times the ball went in the net for the other team versus them. Trust me. So you're lying to yourself, not just to them. Hmm. So, can go back to that point about the 7 million men who are down in the basement just kind of chasing dopamine. Is that what you mean yeah. when you talk about, quote, full-time children? What does that phrase yes. mean? Well, actually, this is a phenomenon that's coming out of China, and I believe it's going to come to our shores as well. You know, the Chinese work culture, Jim, as you know, famously is just really a grinded-out culture, 70, 80, 90-hour weeks. And so what, the, what this is in China is a revolt against the communist work uh, culture, if you will. And so what these, these, uh, these uh, adult kids are doing now is they're working for their mom and dad, and their mom and dad are either giving them free room and board to then do household chores or run errands for them, or they're paying somewhat of a stipend to them just to help out around the house. Now, I can, or, I can understand that in China, but it's now come to the United States. And again, this is the coddling of Americans, where... Parents are, they don't want to see their kid move on. They love their kids. I get it. I got a high school senior. I'm going to be really sad come May. Uh, but I want my kid to fly. And I know that in order for them to fly, he's got to leave the nest. And so in the American parent culture, what we're doing is, is we're paying our kids to stay around the house, so employing them in our companies or side businesses just to keep them in the nest. And again, creating these falsely mature kids. They've got worldly knowledge. They can do everything from a technology standpoint. They understand a lot of things, but they don't know how to adult. And, and so that's the crisis we're seeing started in China uh, as a revolt, which I understand. But now this is being popularized in, in, in America. And I think it's a I, I think, again, it's going to contribute to a, a a weakening of America because of weakening of our work ethic. All right. So what's really interesting about that, Ken, is and, and I know exactly what you're going through because we just had my wife, Janet, and I just had one son graduate college and we just sent another one off to college. All of yeah. this in the same summertime. You know, unlike that, I actually for all the wrong reasons, Ken, I got out of broadcasting for a moment and went to work for the family business for all the wrong reasons. And mm-hmm. my family was different. Number one, my father once said no. When I brought that up, he said, no, you cannot work here. And I'm like, what do you mean? I can't work here. It's like every father's dream to have their son follow in their legacy. He's like, not mine. And especially with you, son, I love you, but you've never once shown any interest in the family business. You cannot work here. So I just kept 
But oh. I was on him, man. I was on him, and I wore him down because the one thing I did have, even though I didn't have that kind of acumen or interest, I always had that ambition. I wore him down. I talked him into it. Of course, it went horribly. And not only did he not let me stay around and then carry me and empower me, he fired me. He fired me. I love your dad. Oh, no. he Yeah, he was great like that. He fired me and said, nothing personal, but I shouldn't <laughs> have hired you, and you're not good at this. And I love you, but you're fired. He fired yeah. me. And then on, on top of that was there's something else about this this notion of the kids and what they do. Oh, the other point, that you want your child to move on. Our mm-hmm. older son, Jake, left California, never been outside of California, really, except on family vacations. He went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, knew nobody there, totally different environment. You know the elements mm-hmm. are much different in the Midwest. It's freezing cold. Best thing the kid ever did. He left yeah. home without knowing anybody and is now sufficient and independent. It's so important. It's so true. And how have you and your wife managed those emotions to where you get on the other side of this going, we know this is the right thing. Even though it hurts to let him go, it's the best thing for him. How did you work through that? Well, he, okay, so my wife, Janet, was very, very successful in business when I met her before we had kids, more successful than I was. She was a broadcast executive, but she always knew exactly what she wanted. You know, your whole thing about purpose. She wanted to be a stay-at-home mom because she wanted to be involved in the kids' lives. That's what she wanted, and she was super successful as an executive. So she raised the kids up. I was going to the office. I played kind of bad cop and did the discipline, and it worked beautifully. But our son, Jake, and we live in kind of the bubble of the Orange County area, he wanted out. Like, we we didn't have a choice. Like I said, I'm, I'm paying for this. I'm going to have a say in this. Take your college trips. But it was so important for him to go that we accepted it. I think Mama, because we live right down the street from UC Irvine, which is a very good college, had he stayed at home five miles from home, she would have loved that, but she understood. So yeah. we embraced it. It was not easy. We embraced it. And then we sent our second one to Boulder. So we're now empty nesting, Ken, and both kids went out of state. And it's hard. It's not like when you and I grew up with, there's no guarantee they come back. You know what I mean? The the economy being what it is, business being what it is, and I'm not using it as an excuse. It's just not a guarantee that they will return home to the state of California where it's very expensive. So the entire world has changed. So you kind of have to accept that. I'd love to have them back, but I know it's no guarantee. That's right. I love that. It's great. I love that story. So you, you got to let the kids go, and you want them, you know, and, and I said to them all along, listen, I'm not living vicariously through you kids. My life's worked out pretty well, but here's what I know, and I can't make you want it, but if you want it, here are some of the things that I've learned for you to succeed. But you know what's really interesting? You can't, like that innate drive. Like my father, where do you come out on this? My father once said to me, and I thought he did very well, and this whole thing about my father is a different deal. Like he died right before he turned 60 and had no regrets and was like at peace at peace. I'm his age right now, almost, and I'm not really at peace. And it amazes me that he was good. And I'm still like, yeah, but I'm not. And here's why. That's a different kind of offshoot. But he, his thing to me was, I don't know where you got your drive from, but you didn't get it from me. So let me ask you that. And I, and I thought he was very motivated and very disciplined. But where do you think drive comes from? Is it innate or can you manufacture it and develop it? You cannot manufacture it, uh, you can throw gas on it, okay? So drive comes from a couple places. One, I mean, we know from just all the personality data and research out there on all these personality tests, and I've talked to so many psychologists, I've interviewed on my show about this. So there is a wiring. You get some of it from your dad, some of it from your mom, 
uncles, who knows? There is a DNA uh, component to our personality, no question about it. So there's some of it is coming from your personality, but a lot of it comes from just the environment and, and the way you saw the world and things that affected your world early on. And so some people are just super hungry and super driven. You're one of them. I'm one of them. I talked to Pat Lencioni. He's a good friend, probably one of the best leadership authors of the last two decades. We talked about this once. Can you teach hunger? And the answer is no. So it's the same thing we're talking about here. I don't believe you can um, instill it in anybody. I think if somebody has it, you can pour fuel on it. But the but the pilot light's got to be lit. They've got to have a fire. And, and to that extent, then you can pull the blankets off. You can pull things away and let the fire rage. If you've ever built a fire, I mean, there's a way to get that thing channeled and where it's going. That you can do, but you cannot put or instill or develop or teach hunger. You cannot do that. And what's interesting about this question is a lot of leaders right now, maybe listen to that going, eh, I don't know. But, but I would challenge you to look up the difference between extrinsic motivation and intrinsic. Fancy words, let's make it simple. Extrinsic motivation is like what I do as a parent. I tell my teenage boys, their room is always a disaster. <laughs> Guys, you're not going out this Friday night unless the room is cleaned up. You live in squalor. I'm not okay with it. Clean it or you don't go out. So what do they do? Ooh, you know, and they clean it. So I am motivating them to clean their room extrinsically, meaning punishment or reward. And so they clean the room because they want to get the reward of seeing their friends or they want to avoid the punishment of not. Okay. Now that's extrinsic motivation. I would call that manipulation. Great parenting, terrible leadership. But most leaders lead through manipulation, even in the form of, well, if you meet your sales goals, you'll get this trip or this, or you'll get a pizza party or we're going to all have drinks on. That's a bunch of crap. Nobody's truly motivated by it. But if you can figure out intrinsic motivation, this is the person who gets up and works out every morning at 5 a.m. Or like you and I have done for years, we do a show every day. We create content all the time. We're digging. We're learning. You know, all this kind of stuff. That's because we want to. Now, that's true motivation. But see, you can't teach that. A person wants what they want. Can they change their wants? Yes. But as a leader or as a parent or a teacher or a coach, the secret to great leadership and great coaches, and this is what kills me about the sports world because I study these coaches, I speak for some teams, and I watch these, and the great coaches are the ones that figure out that that little fire, that little pilot light that I was talking about, the intrinsic motivation. What motivates this kid? If I can figure out what motivates this kid, then I give him an opportunity to put him in a position to achieve that result. But yelling and screaming, playing these mind games with kids or pro athletes for that matter, it doesn't get you anywhere. Because right, so that's to, all manipulation. I so, was going to say, I'm sorry to jump in there. I got so excited about no, that. Great. Sorry to yeah, jump in there yeah. because I was going to follow you up on that. I was going to follow up on that and say, and I want to pick my spots because I want to be very respectful of your time. But what about the flip side of that? What if you're with a coach or a leader or a boss who's not doing that, who's not looking for that pilot light and trying to ignite it? But what if you're somebody and your boss is motivating in all the wrong ways, is manipulating, is creating a toxic environment, there's poor leadership. Your boss is literally about all the wrong shit, toxic things. <laughs> what is the employee to do about that? Start looking and soon be leaving. Hmm. It's that simple. Because what happens if you uh, stay? What happens if you stay? What does that do to your mental health, your physical health, and the quality of your life? You nailed it. Uh, if you stay, what happens is is you slowly get beat down. You, you lose the will to win. Uh, it, it, is, it is absolutely close to 
and I'd be very careful how I say this, but this is close to what dictators do. You know, when they take over a people, they break the will of the people. And it's a mind game. And so a bad leader, whether they're doing it intentionally or not, some do it intentionally, some do not. They just don't know how to lead. But when they step on the spirit of a human and, and what happens eventually, you break their will. You break their will to win. And so what happens is, is you settle. And it's a settling for this is my reality. And then it also has, I think, a actual metaphorical use here. You know, when you see dirt settle to the bottom of water, you know, and silt and, you know, just you settle. And you just kind of bottom out. And to your point, that's where depression, the depression seeks in, uh, seeks, uh, seeps in rather. Uh, and uh, then your physical health follows pretty close behind when you're stressed out all the time. You're worried. You don't believe that there's any opportunity for you. Uh, it's a recipe to die slowly is really what's going on. So that's why I said point blank, be looking and soon be leaving because it is extremely rare that you can lead up in a situation like that because that leader over you is being allowed to lead that way by somebody above them, whether by ignorance, meaning they don't know what's going on, they're not attached enough to see that this is happening, or they don't know what to do about it, or maybe apathy, they don't care. And that's why you've got to say, I can't change this leader, but I can change my location and I'm going to move on. All right. So Ken, you are pushing out and creating a lot of content, daily content, various platforms. In addition to your broadcast work, you have written multiple books. Your latest book is From Paycheck to Purpose. What is, I mean, it seems self-evident, but what is that about? Yeah, so it's seven stages that if you think of a mountain climb, will take anybody from not knowing what they want to do or they know what they want to do, but they don't know how to get there. It takes them from stage one, which is getting clear, crystal clear. If I'm clear, I'm confident. And if I'm confident, I will be courageous in the moment. And we walk you through the seven stages, getting clear, getting qualified, getting connected, getting started, getting promoted, getting the dream job. And then the final and seventh stage is give yourself away where you're no longer working for income, but it's completely about impact. And so in short, that's what the book does is walk you through the seven stages step by step so that you can see it is possible to work for more than a paycheck. Listen, we weren't created to, to, to get 26 paychecks a year. There's so much more to life than that. People know this. And so it's a, it's a clarion call and then a, uh, a guidebook, if you will, to actually figure out what is that unique role in work where I can make the contribution that I know I was designed to make and make plenty of money or make enough money, but more importantly, get up on Monday morning and actually be excited about the meaning that you're going to get from the job ahead. And wouldn't that be the best, right? Because that's what we're all here for. I, I'm not looking to judge anybody, but that whole thing about like when I say to somebody, hey, man, how you doing? It's Friday. Yeah, I know what day it is. That means tomorrow is Saturday and yesterday was Thursday. I asked how you were doing, not what day it was. And I'm not poking fun or judging. It's just sad, right? You don't want to live like that. Sure. Monday, and maybe I'm being really naive in saying this, but I don't think so, Ken. I think you'd agree with this. Monday yeah. should be Friday, right? I mean, it's should what's be. the difference? If you have your purpose and you have your attention, intention, yeah. you'll be that way. In fact, leave me with that thought. If somebody, and, and thank you so much for this, there's so much more than what you and I talked about, but if somebody knows, like, they, they don't know what it is, but they know they're searching for it. They want that intention. They want that direction. Do you work with people directly? And if they want to reach out to you, how do they do that? 
Yeah, I do. I, and I, I coach people all the time. I've coached people live on the air, over 7,000 people in the last five years, live on the air and at live events. And here's what I would say to that person on that question. You have to look at your design and look at your story. And I'll give it to you in two minutes. Here's how, here's how I would coach you. Mm-hmm. First, you got to look at what you do best. That's your talent. See, from our talent, we can turn that talent into sharpened skill. Think of them as power tools. But, but what you came into this world hardwired, pretty talented at doing, you can enhance that. And so we think of talent as a power tool to do excellent and efficient work. Second, you got to look at passion, what you love to do. This is all about the heart. There is a type of work or a role in work that you look forward to. When you engage in it, you lose track of time. You can't wait to get back at it. And then finally, we want to look at what is missional to you. These are the results that matter to you. All work creates results. So if you can use what you do best, talent, to do work you love, passion, to then produce results that you care deeply about, mission, now, now you go, okay, this is purposeful work. This is what I was created to do. And you're jacked every Monday because you've had some time off on the weekend to rest and recuperate, but you're recharging, you're back at it. So you look at those clues, what I do best, what I love to do, and what results matter to me. Then you can go a level deeper and say, now that I know those three elements, who are the people I really want to help in life? See, all work is about helping people, indirectly or directly. Who are the people I want to help? What problem or desire do they have? And then what are the solutions to that desire or problem that I get juiced about? I get fired up. And so that's where we begin to ideate on either a business idea, uh, your own business, or you begin to see, oh, I want to go over here and work in uh, uh, therapy, or I want to work in medicine, or I want to be in nutrition, or I want to be in sports, education, what have you. So that's quickly how we coach people to go, oh, I was designed a certain way, and then I've got a story to go with my design. The experience, the environment, the environment, my home growing up, the experience I've lived at this point, that all shapes how I answer those three questions, the people I want to help, the problem or desire they have, and then the solution. So understanding story and design is where all the ideas come from. And it's that clarity, Jim, that gives us confidence that that is who we are. And then the courage to step out and stay with it. And uh, to answer the last question, KenColeman.com. You can listen to the show on SiriusXM podcast, YouTube, all the books, all the things, the websites, KenColeman.com and on social media at Ken Coleman. Good, man. I think my my two final takeaways from this, number one, I think that you are exceptional at being succinct and concise in breaking down exactly what the strategy is, although you have to implement the strategy, but you're very good at explaining what the strategy is. And then number two, I would say, Ken, finally, that even the highest achievers, the best athletes Mm -hmm. in the world have coaches. They have specialized trainers. It's an important thing. Like No matter how well you're doing, you could always use that different point of view or you can learn something new. And this is what you can do to help people. Ken, I'm so glad that you and I finally came together, man. That flew. That episode absolutely flew. I got so much out of that. I know that my listeners did as well. And I really appreciate you and the time, man. Thank you so much for that, Ken. That was great. I really appreciated that jolt of energy and adrenaline that I got from that. Oh, well, that's uh, that's uh, so kind, and I'm grateful and can't wait to return the favor. So uh, hopefully my team's getting that all set up. And, and uh, again, an honor to talk to you, my friend. I'm glad Jordan connected us. And I want to tell you that any way I can help you, I know you want to get into this world some. I think that's what Jordan said. So any way that I can open some doors or uh, encourage or help in any way, know that uh, you're a legend, and, and I'm humbled to be on your show. Hey, listen, I will take you up on that because, if anything, you actually are a great 
person for me to model. I mean, look at it. You got out of your business to get into mm-hmm. broadcasting, which you still do at a very, very high level, to get into this side as well. So you're the perfect guy for me to follow. So I will take you up on that, and I will Let's absolutely look forward to our next conversation, Ken. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate you. That conversation right there is a blueprint for those who are not living the life that they want to live. And that's a really sad thing because so many people are in that same exact position, not living the life they want to live, but rather living lives they don't want to live. The thing is, it doesn't have to be that way. Now, I'm not saying that you're not facing certain challenges or facing adversity of some kind. I'm sure you are. However, whatever it is you're dealing with, you can overcome because clearly, while I'm not trying to diminish whatever it is you're dealing with, folks have overcome much greater adversity. Therefore, you can too. And remember, Ken made a really key point, I thought. There's a difference between being stuck and not taking action. You're probably not even stuck. You're just not taking action. Just like I wasn't stuck on that project that I mentioned at the very top of this app. I just wasn't taking action. So what I'm trying to say is F-bomb warning. It's coming in three, two, one. What I'm trying to say is let's fucking go. Sorry for the profanity, but sometimes we all need to hear it. As always, thank you so much for making time from my side hustle to my side hustle. Remember, kill your vices, eliminate regret, Take action, live with incredible intent and purpose, and let's all make sure that all of our best lives are in front of us and not behind us. And remember, no one is coming to save you. No one is going to do the work for you. So get off your ass and let's go. And I'll see you next time right here on The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.